a treat this morning. This is a really special morning because we're in this series called Stories Jesus Told. We're talking about the parables of Jesus and really what he's trying to say to us about our everyday life. Because our faith isn't faith in action until it matters outside of this morning. Amen? Isn't that true? So this morning I'm really excited to introduce a friend of mine, a friend of the Wagglers, a friend of many in Richmond, David Bailey. I could tell you all about David's accomplishments. He's the founder and chief vision officer of Arabon. He's been featured in the New York Times. He works nationally in the space of racial reconciliation, but actually that's not the most important thing that I want you to know this morning. What I want you to know about David is that there's people who can teach the scripture in a way that like, you're like, oh, that's true. And there's people who can live a life where you feel cared for by them, where you experience their grace and they really like make you a more loving person when you're with them. And then there's people who can do both. And David in my life is one of those people and in many people's lives, a person who is truly a prophet of our day, who can speak about the Bible and help you understand it in the way that it applies to modern day, but also a man of deep grace, forgiveness and love, who's been working in this space for his whole adult life and is now kind of in this moment, this cultural moment that we find ourselves in, God has elevated his work in a way that is blessing our country. So it's a real treat to have him with us. I encourage you guys to check out Erebon after he brings us the word this morning. But um, without further ado, I would love for you guys to give us the best warm Hill City welcome for David Bailey. Oh, so glad to be here. Can y'all hear me yet? So glad to be here. Um, that was a really, uh, really honor. I really appreciated those words, Nicole, particularly. Nicole and I uh, really have tried to get together every other month, just as, um, as friends, people in this ministry. And, um, and it's just been good when, when people that know you actually have something nice to say about you. That's, that's always a good thing. <laughs> Um, I want to say thank you also to Hill City because when y'all give those joy offerings um, and, and you give uh, sacrificially and generously, um, what you're doing is you're supporting ministries like Arabon. And for many years, you all have partnered and supported us. And um, I'll just tell you a little bit of like what this looked like. I'm pretty sure like many of you all um, in 2020, you know, when we just were like in the pandemic we were in this like significant amount of like racial, like, like grief that spilled out into anger that just, it just felt so chaotic. Um, um, around March, I got this phone call uh, from a pastor in uh, Georgia and said, hey, we are part of something that's going on. Uh, 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 and like there was this, these kind of white guys that killed this like black guy. And I've seen a lot of people from, from the national space to be, um, that's like starting to kind of come and it's probably going to like hit the fan nationally. They end up being the Maude Arbery um, um, situation down in, in Georgia. And so what we did was we really spent time pastoring and shepherding the pastors and mobilizing the pastors locally to be able to kind of help uh, root people in, in like how do you grieve as a community? How do you take this like anger that's a justifiable anger but actually mobilize and do this in something that's like positive. And so if you all remember back in 2017, when we had the Charlottesville uh, situation, um, we 
a group of pastors, uh, along, along with um, the Airbot team and a group of pastors, you know, we ended up kind of having a public witness response that Wags and Nicole were all a part of. And so I said, like, hey, you could do a similar thing. And so this is the work that we did behind the scenes. Now, I, I grew up in this uh, church with a lot of, like, gray-haired folks, and, and they would just give some, like, really good wisdom. And one, uh, one piece of wisdom that Deacon Wilson gave me, he says that, David, uh, bad news always travels faster than good news. And when you hear about, like, the stories like the Mont Arbery and all the stuff that happened in 2020, the bad news always travels faster than the good news. You don't hear about stories about 100 churches in Georgia in that community coming together, helping to provide places for people to grieve. And what I want you to know is that your joy offerings that you support help to make that happen. So when you say, like, when there aren't, like, stuff in the news, and you're like, oh, what do I do? And, 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 and what do I do when things aren't in the news? This is what you all are doing. So just, would you give yourself a round of applause? So I've tried a new beatitude. It's called Bless Her to Brief because they'll be asked to come back. And so I'm going to go ahead and get back into this uh, uh, text. Uh, so let's start at Luke 10, 23 to 24. And it says, then, I turn, uh, then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what, I, what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Now, we're about to explore the Good Samaritan and that story of Jesus but what's really good to understand, like when you're like looking at the Bible, is uh, writers are trying to communicate something. So Luke is given an account of Jesus through to his people. And it's always really important to see, like, what's the story that happened before that story? And so the story that Luke is telling before Jesus tells a story about telling the parables is he sends his disciples out. And he gives them power to proclaim the kingdom of God. He sends them on assignment to bring healing to deliverance. And he says, hey, go find some people of peace. And go and do your ministry. And then, like, God does something. And God actually shows up when the people of God actually do ministry. And so they were really excited about that. And they were like, wow, this is awesome. Like, the power of God was showing up. He was like, hey, like, like yeah, that is awesome. But, like, don't be like, overly excited about that. Like, understand, like, your right relationship with the Lord, but also don't make light of the fact that you can be used by God because it says, blessed are those of the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you, there are many prophets and kings, like people from the Old Testament, people who were kings, people who were prophets that were being used by God, and they wanted to see what you see, but they did not see it. And they wanted to hear what you heard, but did not hear it. And it's in this context that the Good Samaritan is about to be shared in the story that Jesus tells. And so what I'd love for us to do is I want to teach you this clinch fist prayer. If you just like sit up straight and um, what I'd like you to do is uh, clench your fist and you're going to close your eyes and you're going to clench your fist. And then when I pray, Father, 
give me eyes to see, and, as you, and I want you to open your hands up. I'm going to say, Jesus, give me eyes to see, and I want you to open your hands up, and then we'll say, Holy Spirit, give me eyes to see. All right, quench fish, close eyes. Father, Father, uh, let's say it all together. Father, give me eyes to see. Hopefully, hands are open. All right, let's do it again. Uh, we'll say, Jesus, Jesus, give me eyes to see. And one more time, quench your fists and open them up. Holy Spirit, give me eyes to see. Let's do that one more time. Holy Spirit, give me eyes to see. So, we're here in this story where there was this expert of the law. And this was like the Old Testament law. And he goes and he asks the rabbi Jesus a question. And he says, hey, uh, um, what is the greatest, I mean, like, like the, the, the greatest commandment? Oh, no, no, I actually asked this question. He asked a question. He says, like, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And what Jesus says, Jesus, like, generally asks, answers a question with a question. And so he says, like, well, what do you think will help you inherit the kingdom of God? Like, and he says, well, the greatest commandment to love God with your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And so what else is what that means is like love God with everything and, and that you have in all of your essence and you will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he also said to love your neighbor as yourself. To love your neighbor as yourself. And so what Jesus then goes and says to the, um, the, the, the person who says, yeah, what you've answered correctly, and Jesus replied, do this and you will receive life. Now, here's the problem. The lawyer, he had a clinch fist mentality. He was asking this question. He was asking this question, but he really didn't really want to know the answer to the question. Have you ever asked a question and really didn't want to know the answer to the question? You kind of want to justify the thing that you were already doing? And in order to really understand this text, what you really have to understand is what did it mean to inherit the kingdom of God in the Jewish context? So like in the Jewish context, rabbis would study the text and would study the Old Testament so that they could then, the idea was to get a little bit of heaven on earth. A lot of times when we talk about inheriting the kingdom of God in our kind of like Christian context in America, we think about going to heaven. But in the Jewish context, they're thinking about heaven coming to earth. So when the rabbis would study and when you were being a good Jewish person, you would study the Torah so that a little bit of heaven could come to earth. Now, y'all, I come from a preaching context where uh, preaching's not a monologue, it's a dialogue. So I, I don't know if you're with me or not. It helps the sermons be a lot shorter when you know people are with me. So give me a little bit of head nod, an amen, or a, a, a Presbyterian grunt or something, you know? <laughs> so, so inheriting the kingdom of God is about the heaven coming to earth and us being a conduit for the heavens coming to earth. And so he says, okay, if you love God and you love your neighbor, then you will be a conduit for the kingdom of God to come on earth. And so because he had this clenched fist mentality, 
Jesus said, yes, you have answered correctly. And then he says, do, the, do this and you will live. Then the lawyer asked the question, well, who is my neighbor then? And this is kind of like a sidestepping type of situation where he's trying to like figure out, okay, you know, how do I get out of this? And he asked this question like, I mean, a neighbor's like a pretty wide thing. I mean, I could just like bring cookies to the person next door and I got all of the inheritance of the kingdom of God that I need. <laughs> and then Jesus goes into the story. He said, there's a man, it's a Jewish man, who is by walking from Jericho and is on the Jericho road, and then he gets beat up. He's like naked, which is a, 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 another term of like he was dealing with shame. This is in a culture where, where, where to be naked causes shame, to be seen naked, and to cause shame on others. And then he goes and says, uh, uh, he's like left on the side of roads to almost be dead. So then there's this like priest, this pastor that walks by. Not, not, not John Wagler, but another pastor down the street. He walks by. And walks kind of over top of the person who's on the side of the road. Then like the good church member, the Levites, that was like the particular uh, tribe that was, was kind of responsible for carrying responsibility for the temple. And it was that good church member. Not any of you all, but the other church down the street, they walked by. And then there's this guy who is a Samaritan that is on his way, that stops takes care of this wounded person, goes and realizes he's not going to just, like, get taken care of in this very moment. He actually takes his own money, puts him up into a hotel, and, and, and says to the person, like, hey, here's enough for a stay, but then I got to go take care of some business. If I come back and he still needs uh, care, I will take care of that. So this is a major inconvenience to somebody that's already on the road to somewhere else, and then he stops and he shows mercy to somebody that's on the side of the road that he doesn't even know. The scandal of the story is not the fact that somebody got beat up on the Jericho Road. See, in every society, there are some like, like, like places where you know on the south side or on the east end or on the wherever part of your city, somebody got beat up. And even if you know a little bit about typography and the geography of, uh, uh, of the Jericho Road, basically it was kind of a way where a lot of thieves would be able to hide out and then they could like come and, and take advantage of people who uh, um, were vulnerable. And so everybody who was listening to the story understood that. What the scandal of the story is that the Samaritan. Somebody who was of a different ethnic group, of a different religious group, that they in their culture knew that they should not like was the hero of the story. When you hear the word Good Samaritan, it's, it's, it's like saying like, it's almost like saying, are there any Good Samaritans? This person is almost like a, perceived as an exception to the rule. You know, it's like growing up, you would hear, you know, they're white people, but they're some good white people, like in the black community. You know, or you're like, 
you know, that's like urban inner city, but that, like, like that's a really good black person. You know, that was the scandal of the story. Now, how is this story relevant to our story today? In every society, you have people who are haves or have nots. You have environments where in this particular city, people are in certain situations um, that it's the world they inherited. In every society, you have ethnic differences. You have challenges and some kind of thing that we've inherited. And Jesus is always inviting us into the story to be a difference maker. Let me just give a minute to kind of help you understand how this applies in our context in the United States. Anybody familiar with the game Monopoly? Okay, all right, so here's how Monopoly works. So you're supposed to like, everybody starts in the same place and you go around the, t the whole board and the objective um, is to be able to buy as much property as you can in order for you to win the game. The person with the most property is the one that wins the, uh, the, uh, the, the game. And you have to go around the board one time before you can start to like buy property. Everybody remember, remember that from Monopoly? So what I'm gonna do is we're gonna split the group up and like this group right here gets a chance to play the Monopoly game 30 minutes early. This group right here gets a chance to play the Monopoly game and the same game 30 minutes later. So you get a chance to enter in after these folks have gotten a chance to play the Monopoly game for 30 minutes. Now, when you go around the Monopoly game and over here y'all are playing, what are some of the things that's gonna happen? You're gonna what? Buy some property? You're gonna also get a chance to like know how to negotiate with one another. You're gonna build a build a culture. And so then when group two kind of comes in, what happens? What's, what's going on over here, group two? Oh, hey, almost all the property is almost bought up, right? It's hard to enter in the game. And when you don't own property, like where's the safest place to be? Somebody say it? Jail. <laughs> because you're playing taxes all the time, right? This is the story of America. The story of America was that certain people were able to buy property, to freely go about living in this country. And really, it was really because of the color of the skin. Even if you were an immigrant, there were, their first naturalization laws were based off of who had access to be a full citizen or not, based on what they considered black or what they considered white. And so it wasn't until 1968 that these, um, these, it became illegal to discriminate that way, and it wasn't until the mid-1970s that like, laws like uh, um, redlining um, and, and penalizing people and trying to motivate people to do the right thing came into place. And so when we look at our city, Richmond, and we look at a redlining map, let's look at a redlining map. This is the, the kind of darker colors is where most of the people of color are and the lighter colors are where most of the white people are. When you look at the redlining map, it looks very similar. So what about the environmental stuff? Let's go right back to the next slide. When you look at where the toxic waste and environmental challenges are, it's very similar to where the redlining is. And so this is why there's so much asthma and your zip code can determine your health indicators. And 
And then it also determines like, like, like the challenges that you have and your educational opportunities and, and which, which high schools are going to get a military recruiter and which ones are going to get a college recruiter. All this is zip code. So then when you look at the third map, can you show this one? It shows where the current social vulnerability scores are. They're higher on the east end and the south side, and it's like green and flourishing on the west end. It goes alongside with this redlining map. So the question about how do we inherit the kingdom of God is a question that every society is asking. Whether they're Christian or not, part of the kingdom of God is the abundant life. And there's something that God is hardwiring us to have a desire for the kingdom of God, a desire for the abundant life. And when you're Jewish, in that culture, you would say, hey, studying the word of God is the way to get a little bit of heaven on earth. But when you're in American culture, it's about accumulation of wealth. It's about trying to make sure that you have the right connections, the right money, the right education, all of these things and to make sure that you're like economically secure. But what Jesus invites us into in the story is to actually pay attention to the person that's on the side of the road. And he says, do this and you will live. Why is stopping in the midst of your pursuit of whatever God's called you to do, to stop and to help people on the side of the road, even if they are on your part of town, to go into your pocket, go into your wallet, and try to help to take care of folks? And, and, and it's not going to be convenient. It, it might cost you more than what you were thinking that it would cost you, but there is something about doing mercy that we find life. Brothers and sisters, we only can consume but so much. We can only like, 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 like obtain so much knowledge. We can only do it, obtain so much wealth and you can continue to learn and learn and engage in wealth building and security for your family. And there's like never enough security. There's never enough knowledge. There's never enough money. But somehow in showing mercy to the person that is on the side of the road, will give you this kingdom of God on earth. But sisters, I want to invite you into that story of Jesus. The story of, man, we live in a very complicated world and a very complicated history and a very complicated country at this time. But what's true then, 2,000 years ago, is true now that we can open our eyes to see people that are on the side of the road and find ways that the Holy Spirit is inviting us in to show mercy, to show grace, to be a conduit where a little bit of heaven on earth can come through in us and through us. So here's what I want you to do. Let's open our prayer again and have your hands just open. And what we'll do is we're, I'm going to just offer this prayer. We'll, we'll do this together. We'll say, Father, give me eyes to see. Jesus, give me eyes to see. Holy Spirit, give me eyes to see. And we'll actually give a minute to just hear what the Spirit might be prompting you to do. Uh, one thing about our ministry, 
is that we're not prescriptive of what God is telling you what to do. We're descriptive of what the kingdom of God is. We're descriptive of our social context in which we're in. But we're trusting the Holy Spirit to give you creativity, to show you what it is that you're called to do in, in, in your life, on your road, on, on the way that God's called you to do, to do this work of reconciliation. If the church isn't involved in doing this, we can see what's happening when the world is, at the, the, is, is, is leading this type of work. And so what we want to do is just open ourselves up to see what God might tell us on how we can inherit the kingdom of God and be a conduit of the Spirit. So let's say this prayer one more time. Father, give me eyes to see. Jesus, give me eyes to see. Spirit, give me eyes to see. Just like wait and sounds for a minute and I'll close with some prayer. Father, Son, and Spirit, we ask that you would open our minds, open our hearts, just open our lives up so that we won't be clenched fist people, but we'll be open-handed people who will be committed to showing mercy, that we won't buy into this false narrative of, of radical independence. We all belong to one another. And, and you've blessed some of us with more and those of us with a little bit less. That if we're Christians, so out of like our abundance and even some, out of our sacrifice, we could show love to you and our neighbors. That we can find life and showing neighborly love to the people in our society that our society says we shouldn't show neighborly love to. I pray, Lord, that there wouldn't be anybody that would deal with the spirit of condemnation, but that people would be convicted to say, hey, let me receive this invitation from the Lord to do something in my city, in my community, and beyond. Let me partner up with some folks that, that, that can kind of help to, to show mercy and to unlock uh, some kingdom of God on earth. Lord, I thank you for 
this church that is trying to lean into this, and I pray for everybody on the sound of my voice, that they would not just be a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. Thank you for these things. In Jesus' name we pray.